Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're continuing with The Gorgon's Head from Wonder Book for Boys and Girls by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Now there were three Gorgons alive at that period, and they were the most strange and terrible monsters that had ever been since the world was made, or that have been seen in after days, or that are likely to be seen in all time to come. I hardly know what sort of creature or hobgoblin to call them. They were three sisters, and seemed to have borne some distant resemblance to women, but were really a very frightful and mischievous species of dragon. It is indeed difficult to imagine what hideous beings these three sisters were. Why, instead of locks of hair, if you can believe me, they each had of them a hundred enormous snakes growing on their heads, all alive, twisting, wriggling, curling, and thrusting out their venomous tongues, with forked stings at the end. The teeth of the Gorgons were terribly long tusks. Their hands were made of brass, and their bodies were all over scales, which, if not iron, were something as hard and impenetrable. They had wings, too, and exceedingly splendid ones, I can assure you, for every feather in them was pure, bright, glittering, burnished gold, and they looked very dazzlingly, no doubt, when the Gorgons were flying about in the sunshine." But when people happened to catch a glimpse of their glittering brightness aloft in the air, they seldom stopped to gaze, but ran and hid themselves as speedily as they could. You will think, perhaps, that they were afraid of being stung by the serpents that served the gorgons instead of hair, or of having their heads bitten off by their ugly tusks, or of being torn all to pieces by their brazen claws. Well, to be sure, these were some of the dangers, but by no means the greatest, nor the most difficult to avoid." For the worst thing about these abominable gorgons was that, if once a poor mortal fixed his eyes full upon one of their faces, he was certain that very instant to be changed from warm flesh and blood into cold and lifeless stone. Thus, as you will easily perceive, it was a very dangerous adventure that the wicked king Polydectes had contrived for this innocent young man. Perseus himself, when he had thought over the matter, could not help seeing that he had very little chance of coming safely through it, and that he was far more likely to become a stone image than to bring back the head of Medusa with the snaky locks. For, not to speak of other difficulties, there was one which would have puzzled an older man than Perseus to get over. Not only must he fight with and slay this golden-winged, iron-scaled, long-tusked, brazen-clawed, snaky-haired monster— but he must do it with his eyes shut, or at least without so much as a glance upon the enemy with whom he was contending. Else, while his arm was lifted to strike, he would stiffen into stone and stand with that uplifted arm for centuries until time and the wind and weather should crumble him quite away. This would be a very sad thing to befall a young man who wanted to perform a great many brave deeds and to enjoy a great deal of happiness in this bright and beautiful world." So disconsolate did these thoughts make him, that Perseus could not bear to tell his mother what he had undertaken to do. He therefore took his shield, girded on his sword, and crossed over from the island to the mainland, where he sat down in a solitary place, and hardly refrained from shedding tears. 
but while he was in this sorrowful mood, he heard a voice close beside him. Perseus, said the voice, why are you sad? He lifted his head from his hands, in which he had hidden it, and behold, all alone as Perseus had supposed himself to be, there was a stranger in this solitary place. It was a brisk, intelligent, and remarkably shrewd-looking young man, with a cloak over his shoulders, an odd sort of cap on his head, a strangely twisted staff in his hand, and a short and very crooked sword hanging by his side. He was exceedingly light and active in his figure, like a person much accustomed to gymnastics exercises, and able to leap a run. Above all, the stranger had such a cheerful, knowing, and helpful aspect, though it was certainly a little mischievous into the bargain, that Perseus could not help feeling his spirits grow livelier as he gazed at him. Besides, being really a courageous youth, he felt greatly ashamed that anybody should have found him with tears in his eyes, like a timid little schoolboy, when, after all, there might be no occasion for despair. So Perseus wiped his eyes and answered the stranger pretty briskly, putting on as brave a look as he could. "'I'm not so very sad,' said he, "'only thoughtful about an adventure I have undertaken.' "'Oh-ho!' answered the stranger." "'Well, tell me all about it, and possibly I may be of service to you. "'I have helped a good many young men through adventures that look difficult enough beforehand. "'Perhaps you have heard of me. "'I have more names than one, but the name of Quicksilver suits me as well as any other. "'Tell me what the trouble is, and we will talk the matter over and see what can be done.' "'The stranger's words and manner put Perseus into quite a different mood from his former one.' He resolved to tell Quicksilver all his difficulties, since he could not easily be worse off than he already was, and very possibly his new friend might give him some advice that would turn out well in the end. So he let the stranger know in a few words precisely what the case was, how that King Polydectes wanted the head of Medusa with the snaky locks as a bridal gift for the beautiful Princess Hippodamia, and how he had undertaken to get it for him, but was afraid of being turned into stone." "'And that would be a great pity,' said Quicksilver, with his mischievous smile. "'You would make a very handsome marble statue, it is true, "'and it would be a considerable number of centuries before you crumbled it away. "'But, on the whole, one would rather be a young man for a few years "'than a stone image for a great many.' "'Oh, far rather!' exclaimed Perseus, with the tears again standing in his eyes. "'And besides, what would my dear mother do if her beloved stun was turned into a stone?' "'Well, well, let us hope the affair will not turn out so very badly,' replied Quicksilver, in an encouraging tone. "'I am the very person to help you if anybody can. My sister and myself will do our utmost to bring you safe through the adventure, ugly as it now looks.' "'Your sister?' repeated Perseus. Well, "'Yes, my sister,' said the stranger. "'She is very wise, I promise you. And as for myself, I generally have all my wits about me, such as they are.' If you show yourself bold and cautious and follow our advice, you need not fear being a stone image yet a while. But first of all, you must polish your shield till you can see your face in it as distinctly as in a mirror. This seemed to Perseus rather an odd beginning of the adventure, for he thought of far more consequence than the shield should be strong enough to defend him from the Gorgon's brazen claws, than it should be bright enough to show the reflection of his face. However, concluding that Quicksilver knew better than himself, he immediately set to work and scrubbed the shield with so much diligence and goodwill that it very quickly shone like the moon at harvest time. Quicksilver looked at it with a smile and nodded his own approbation. 
Then, taking off his own short and crooked sword, he girded it about Perseus, instead of the one which he had before worn. "'No sword but mine will answer your purpose,' observed he. "'The blade has a most excellent temper, and will cut through iron and brass as easily as through the slenderest twig. And now we will set out. The next thing is to find the three gray women, who will tell us where to find the nymphs.' "'The three gray women!' cried Perseus to whom this seemed only a new difficulty in the path of his adventure. Pray, who may the three gray women be? I never heard of them before. They are three very strange old ladies, said Quicksilver, laughing. They have but one eye among them, and only one tooth. Moreover, you must find them out by starlight, or in the dusk of the evening, for they never show themselves by the light of either the sun or moon. But, said Perseus, why should I waste my time with these three gray women— "'Wouldn't it not be better to set out at once in search of the terrible Gorgons?' "'No, no,' answered his friend. "'There are other things to be done before you can find your way to the Gorgons. "'There is nothing for it but to hunt up these old ladies, "'and when we meet with them, you may be sure the Gorgons are not a great way off. "'Come, let us be stirring.' "'Perseus, by this time, felt so much confidence in his companion's sagacity that he made no more objections, and professed himself ready to begin the adventure immediately. They accordingly set out, and walked at a pretty brisk pace, so brisk indeed that Perseus found it rather difficult to keep up with his nimble friend Quicksilver. To say the truth, he had a singular idea that Quicksilver was furnished with a pair of winged shoes, which of course helped him along marvelously. And then, too, when Perseus looked sideways at him, out the corner of his eye, he seemed to see wings on the side of his head, although if he turned a full gaze there were no such things to be perceived, but only an odd kind of cap. But at all events the twisted staff was evidently a great convenience to Quicksilver, and enabled him to proceed so fast that Perseus, though a remarkably active young man, began to be out of breath. "'Here!' cried Quicksilver at last." for he knew well enough, rogue that he was, how hard Perseus found to keep pace with him. Take you the staff, for you need it a great deal more than I. Are there no better walkers than yourself in the island of Seraphis? I could walk pretty well, said Perseus, glancing slyly at his companion's feet, if only I had a pair of winged shoes. We must see about getting you a pair, answered Quicksilver. But the staff helped Perseus along so bravely that he no longer felt the slightest weariness. In fact, the stick seemed to be alive in his hand, and to lend some of its life to Perseus. He and Quicksilver now walked onward at their ease, talking very sociably together, and Quicksilver told so many pleasant stories about his former adventures, and how well his wits had served him on various occasions, that Perseus began to think him a very wonderful person. He evidently knew the world— and nobody is so charming to a young man as a friend who has that kind of knowledge. Perseus listened the more eagerly in hope of brightening his own wits by what he heard. At last he happened to recollect that Quicksilver had spoken of a sister, who was to lend her assistance in the adventure which they were now bound upon. "'Where is she?' he inquired. "'Shall we not meet her soon?' "'All at the proper time,' said his companion." "'But the sister of mine, you must understand, "'is quite a different sort of character from myself. "'She is grave and prudent, seldom smiles, never laughs, "'and makes it a rule not to utter a word, "'unless she has something particularly profound to say. "'Neither will she listen to any but the wisest conversation.' 
Dear me, ejaculated Perseus, I shall be afraid to say a syllable. She is a very accomplished person, I assure you, continued Quicksilver, and has all the arts and sciences at her fingers' ends. In short, she is so immoderately wise that many people call her wisdom personified. But, to tell you the truth, she has hardly vivacity enough for my taste, and I think you would scarcely find her so pleasant a traveling companion as myself. She has her good points, nevertheless, and you will find the benefit of them in your encounter with the Gorgons. By this time it had grown quite dusk. They were now come to a very wild and desert place, overgrown with shaggy bushes, and so silent and solitary that nobody seemed ever to have dwelt or journeyed there. All was waste and desolate in the gray twilight, which grew every moment more obscure. Perseus looked about him, rather disconsolately, and asked Quicksilver whether they had a great deal farther to go. "'Hist, hist!' whispered his companion. "'Make no noise. This is just the time and place to meet the three gray women. Be careful they do not see you before you see them. For, though they have but a single eye among the three, it is as sharp-sighted as half a dozen common eyes.' "'But what must I do?' asked Perseus, when we meet them. Quicksilver explained to Perseus how the three gray women managed with their one eye. They were in the habit, it seems, of changing it from one to another, as if it had been a pair of spectacles, or, which would have suited them better, a quizzing glass. When one of the three had kept the eye a certain time, she took it out of the socket and passed it to one of her sisters, whose turn it might happen to be, and who immediately clapped it into her own head and enjoyed a peep at the visible world.' Thus, it will easily be understood that only one of the three gray women could see, while the two others were in utter darkness, and moreover, at the instant when the eye was passing from hand to hand, neither of the poor old ladies was able to see a wink. I have heard a great many strange things in my day, and have witnessed not a few, but none, it seems to me, that can compare with the oddity of these three gray women all peeping through a single eye. So thought Perseus likewise, and was so astonished that he almost fancied his companion was joking at him, and that there were no such old women in the world. "'You will soon find whether I trell the truth or no,' observed Quicksilver. "'Hark! Hush! Hist! Hist! There they come now!' Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.